<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rulebook and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman from hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more. Whether you're pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Disrupting an industry is no easy task, just as Sandra Pelletier. As the CEO of biopharmaceutical company Evofem, she's making major moves in a multi-billion dollar market that hasn't been disrupted in nearly 30 years, the contraceptive industry. Despite the fact that the global contraceptive market size was valued at $22 billion in 2019 and is projected to reach over $30 billion by 2027, there's been little innovation in this space since the 90s. But Sandra is working to change that at FFM. The company's latest product, Fexi, a prescription contraceptive gel, is filling a glaring gap in the market for a hormone-free option that allows women to be in control of their sexual and reproductive health. But Sandra's not just at the forefront of disrupting the contraceptive industry on the pharmaceutical side. She's also advocating for change in the space via the nonprofit sector as the co-founder of Women Care Global, a nonprofit provider of healthcare products to women around the world. In this episode of Work Party, I'm sitting down with Sandra to talk about her impressive career, her commitment to giving women access to more choices, and her role as a mentor for a new generation of women coming up behind her. This episode is brought to you by Fexi, lactic acid, citric acid, and potassium bitartrate vaginal gel, 1.8%, 1%, and 0.4%, which is an FDA-approved non-hormonal vaginal gel used as an on-demand method of contraception. Fexi is not effective for the prevention of pregnancy when used after sex. Avoid using Fexi if you've had recurrent urinary tract infections, you or your partner are allergic to any of the ingredients of Fexi, or you're using a vaginal ring. Fexi may cause serious side effects, including bladder infection and acute kidney infection. 
The most common side effects of Fexi are vaginal burning and itching. Fexi does not protect against sexually transmitted infections, including HIV. Visit Fexi.com for full information on use and risks. All right, let's get right into it. So welcome, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, we're so excited to have you on Work Party. So let's go back to the beginning. You grew up in Caribou, Maine, a small rural town and farming community. So how did that upbringing, you know, shape who you are today? And what skills and traits did you develop that still serve you today now as CEO? Well, I joke that, you know, it certainly is not a place that is prime for developing CEOs. But I really do think that sometimes what we choose chooses us. And I say that because where I grew up, girls were really told either directly or subliminally that their choices were who they married and how many kids they were going to have. And that was it. And so it really shaped me because my mom, who had 12 brothers and sisters and grew up on a farm with outdoor plumbing, she was really the person that suggested to me that women are raised to be pleasers and mediators and martyrs. And that it really is suggested that putting ourselves second is noble because everybody else should come first. And she said to me, look, if you put yourself first on your own to-do list, you're going to impact everybody else you talk with in a more positive way because you need to matter. But it also impacted me because I saw her struggle and all of her friends struggle. And when I say struggle, I mean, they struggled with a lack of empowerment. They didn't have the choices that they needed to make their life better. And they knew it should be better, but they just didn't have access. And so I remember very vividly sitting around at 13 years old, playing cards with all of her friends and hearing them having honestly more kids than they wanted to have. And they just didn't have the mindset that they were given the right information about their own bodies and how their bodies worked. And so for me, I really do think it left this important mark on me that if I had a chance to do something more for women, that it was worth it. Not just to make women feel like I was delivering because I was a woman. I mean, worth it because women impact everyone in their lives. And if it's positive, everybody benefits. And so I feel like that's the privilege and opportunity I have at EvoFem today. It's amazing. And let's fast forward because obviously your career has grown tremendously since those days. So after graduating from college, you started working in sales in the women's health division at GD Searle and quickly worked your way up the ladder. And by the time you were 34, you were a vice president. So how did climbing this corporate ladder at such a young age influence the trajectory of your career and lead you to where you are today? It was very, very important that Early on, what I learned and what I try to encourage other young women who want to move up the corporate ladder is that be mindful of what you see and view that you think is effective, that you think works, that you think really matters, and be mindful of the opposite. And I really used to keep two journals, a red journal and a black journal. And in the black journal, I wrote down everything that I thought was terrible, everything I hated, everything I thought that was oppressive and demotivating. And in the red journal, I wrote down everything that I thought was awesome because I didn't want to forget. But I was willing to do whatever it takes. I mean, there's this statement, right? That you have to believe in what you want so much that you're willing to do whatever it takes. So I relocated, for example, nine different times throughout my career to take new opportunities to prove to myself, but to also prove that I was capable of pivoting, right? And I was capable of doing a variety of different jobs and I could do them well. But what really 
I saw continuously was that women weren't advocating for themselves because of this mindset, right? That I do think that I think younger women now, they're so much smarter than I am anyway. Like they advocate for themselves in a much more deliberate way. But for example, women would assume that everybody would see that they were contributing, that if they were so good, their bosses would automatically see it and promote them. That was not my experience. And Mm. men would ask for what they want. They'd ask for it directly. And oftentimes they would get it when women would wait, wait for the tap, wait to be recognized. And in the end, it just didn't happen often enough and rarely happen. And even in my own experience, not to be so verbose, that I was passed over for a promotion that I believe I really deserved. And when I went to my boss and said, why did I not get this? And he said to me, are you kidding? I didn't even know you wanted it. I thought if you wanted it, you would have at least told me and you didn't. And after 20 years later, it's still one of my regrets. Right? I still think, what was I thinking? You know, and you can do it, by the way, in an approachable way. Just because you ask for something doesn't mean you're arrogant. It doesn't mean you're ungrateful. It means if you do it in the right way, you can say anything. You can say terrible things, you know, as long as you use the right tone and the right language. So that was the biggest lesson for me is that encouraging women to be more direct about what they needed and what they wanted because you decide what you deserve in the end. I'm Amanda Lippman. I run an organization called Run For Something. I wrote a book called Run For Something. And now I host this show also called Run For Something. My mission is simple. Find people who care about solving problems and help them run for office. Every Tuesday, I'll talk with amazing and incredible candidates and elected officials who are already making a difference. They're in local offices that might seem small and not so sexy, but are actually hugely important for your day-to-day life. Fixing our broken system will take all of us and people like you. Listen in every Tuesday. Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm sure we all have stories and regrets very similar to that, but I think it's absolutely so true. And hopefully more and more women who are listening to this podcast or tuning into Create and Cultivate are learning to advocate for themselves in that way and ask for what they want. So I find it fascinating. So after that, you did a four-year stint as a successful executive coach, which is awesome. And then you co-founded the nonprofit Women Care Global, which is dedicated to giving women around the world more access to contraception choices. So it plays very nicely into your career trajectory. So can you tell us a little bit about WCG and the work you did there as a nonprofit, as well as your time as an executive coach and what you sort of learned doing that and then becoming the executive. Yes. Yes. So I will tell you that my time as an executive coach was incredibly important for my role today as the CEO of EvoFem Biosciences. And it was so important because my whole philosophy is why talk if no one's going to listen? If you can't adapt your style to your listener, then they're not going to hear you in the way that you want to be heard. And what I mean by that is, is what I learned as an executive coach and what I studied is that there are four different ways that people learn. And what I mean by that is some people, they don't want to know how the clock is made. They just want to know what time it is. And for those people, bogging them down with details, it just makes them stop listening, right? So what's your point? But then there are others who are just the opposite. They want to know the details. They want to know exactly how you got to the request or the journey, right? There are people that are emotionally centered. They want to know, why does this matter to me? What's the feeling about it, right? What's the emotion behind it? What drives you, you know? And then there are people that are intellectual. They want the scientific and the clinical reasons. But all that boiled down to, it has helped me interface with our investors, with our board, and with my team because I behave on a cadence all about 
the story of the turtle and the hare, I'm definitely the hare. I still win the race though, but I'm the hare. I'm all about, look, I assume good things. Just tell me the bad. Just tell me the bad. What are the warts? Let's fix them. Let's get to solutions, right? So, but other people aren't like that. And if I don't adapt, you know, they're like, oh, she's just a bulldozer. She just came in and just bulldozed right over me. So we're the same person, by the way. <laughs> okay, I love that. So you get, I love that, right? So you know, right? And then it really helped me be mindful and a better communicator. But then WCG was a passion project for me. There's just no question. And in our lives, we all, I hope we have chances to do passion projects. But bottom line is, is that organization I started from the ground up. I was funded by the Susan B. Thompson Buffett Foundation. And what they wanted was a person to come in, create a business plan to show that nonprofits could be sustainable. Donations do not work. They just do not. And so the biggest lesson I learned was that in all these countries that I went into, and I know this is a Captain Obvious statement, but it wasn't to me at the time that all of these women, no matter how poor they were, no matter how much of a lack of education or information they had, they would do anything for their kids to have a better life, anything. They would walk two days carrying a baby on their back, dragging a kid by their side, just so they could get access to contraception so they didn't have another baby that they couldn't feed or they couldn't educate. But what it made me realize, and honest to goodness, that was how I first got attracted to the product that Evofem has today. At that time, it was called Amphora. But the bottom line, Women Care Global made me recognize that every woman deserves access to real innovation. And these poor women used to say to me, I don't want the poor women's product. Don't give me something that the American women discarded. I mean, they did. They would rather have it nothing than have something that they thought was not safe. So that's really how I first got attracted to this asset was because my work at Women Care Global. But the final thing is, is that that organization is now funded by USAID. I was able to raise $68 million for that nonprofit, which is was hard to do. And so I'm really proud of that work. And I'm really proud that I left the organization in a really good place with somebody new running it, but still carrying on the mission, which was, by the way, contraceptive access and supply in developing markets. Amazing. And so obviously we, we went from WCG to you being at Fexi as CEO, but initially you just agreed to a three-year consulting agreement. The plan was you come in, you write a business plan, you raise money, you recruit talent, and you prepare the company for an IPO, which is a super specialized role. Fast forward to 2020 though, you're the CEO, which is amazing. So tell us how you went from that to today and what were those experiences along the way that got you to, hooked to say... Okay. Well, so your point is right. So originally I sort of dipped my toe in the water because what I wanted was access to this amazing product for outside of the US, right? For Africa, Asia, Latin America, because that was really the footprint of Women Care Global. The one thing that really drove me when I learned about the product was on demand. So here's what I knew. So my whole life has been in women's health. My whole life, I've done so much quantitative and qualitative market research from puberty through menopause. And so here's honestly kind of the aha moments. The big thing was that women would say to me, we don't have sex every day. Does it really make sense that I'm taking a product every day of every week of every month for five and 10 and 15 years when I'm only having sex twice a week? Sometimes not even that. So it was this craziness where women would say, would a man do that? Would a man take a product every single day? When you're walking your dog, you don't need contraception. When you're at your kid's recital, you don't need contraception. So why am I doing it every day if I'm suffering, right? If I'm suffering and it doesn't work with me. So for me, that on-demand piece was so important and so critical. And the one thing I also knew, look, come on, 
women start having their periods now even younger than before, but they're used to using tampons. They're used to using different applicators and having something that was simple, that was easy, that you used on demand, that had no hormones, you know, was so important to me. So the reason I decided to really stay and lean into this opportunity at Evofem was really because of the initial investors. The initial investors came in and did a lot of diligence and they did a lot of diligence on the strategy and the plan and a lot of diligence on me. And I'm a little bit of an acquired taste. I'm not really for everybody. Um, and what I mean by that is that I think my strength and my weakness is that I'm very direct. And mm. sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes it's not such a good thing. But these investors liked it. They thought it was refreshing because I told them the real deal. And I was like, look, this is the only way that this is going to get you profitability, but it's also going to deliver for women. And here's why it matters. And I said to them, I'm not going to lie. I'm in it for delivering for women. But by the same time, I'm going to deliver for shareholders. And if you're in on that, then I want to start anew, reconstitute from the ground up. I've got to build my own team with my own board and I've got to start over because no one's going to work harder than me. I promise you this, but you've got to let me do it my way. You know, they had to trust and take a calculated risk. It was like selling the dream, you know? And so thank goodness I was able to sell the dream. And then I stepped in as the CEO to then move forward, but started all the people that were hired, I hired. You know what it is? It's one of those things I got to tell you, Jacqueline, where it's like, watch what you wish for. You know, when you mm. want to test all your skills, like how good are you really? I just feel really grateful. I'm not really sure where I had the kahunas to do that back then. I don't know. <laughs> I was younger, maybe braver, but I'm glad that I did it. Yeah. I mean, and you have the credibility, like there's a reason you're in the room. So I think you're an amazingly acquired taste and like definitely the right choice. So I think that's awesome. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, the contraceptive market has not evolved since the nineties and you guys are really working to change that. So up until now, there have been very few hormone-free birth control options on the market. So can you talk to us about how Fexi works first and foremost, you talked a little bit about that, but, and how it's helping to fill this gap and why hormone-free birth control is so important? Like, what is the science behind that? Yeah, thank you. So one, the gap is staggering. And when I say staggering, there are 21 million women right now in the United States that have identified themselves as beyond hormones. And what I mean by that is that they are having sex and they are using no form of hormonal contraception, none. Now, some of these women have stop their hormonal contraception because they've experienced side effects. Some of them are breastfeeding and they say, I don't want to have hormones in my breast milk. Some of them say, I don't have hormones in my milk. I don't have it in my meat or my makeup. And I don't want to have hormones in my contraception, right? I just don't want to do it. So, and some of them have contraindications, like any woman who's had cancer can no longer take hormones. So this subset of women, 21 million is very significant. Now, just for a moment, just to be capitalistic, if our company were to attract just under a million, 630,000 of those 21 million women, that's a billion dollar market opportunity. When wow. we say that to investors, right? And I say to them, look, here's why you should care about this. Let's just take women out of the equation altogether, shall we? This is an incredible investment because what you just said, Jacqueline, is that this isn't a product in a crowded category with 10 or 12 or 15 other products. This is a product that has no other product in the category. So, and when I say no other product, no other product with no hormones and on demand, that's FDA approved. That's a prescription product. So here's how it works. The ingredients are lactic acid, citric acid, and potassium bitartrate. The combination of these three put together 
what it does is a normal vaginal pH typically is 3.5 to 4.5. When semen enters, that pH rises to seven or eight and a woman becomes pregnant. What our product does, Fexi, is you put it in right before sex or up to an hour before, anytime in the hour window or literally immediately before, you just throw away the applicator and it just maintains a normal vaginal pH. That's what it does. So it makes it inhospitable to semen. We say it's a vaginal pH regulator or vaginal pH modulator. So it just maintains a normal vaginal pH. And that's why the mechanism is so important because the bottom line is, is that we have heard from women. We surveyed 127 women that used Fexi for the past 30 days. This is after we launched, okay? 89% of them said they were gonna refill their prescription. And 93% of them said they were gonna tell their friends about it, which is huge. But the bigger thing that I thought was really important to us is telemedicine. So we're using this telemedicine platform and the fulfillment arm is called Populous. And Populous has said to us, look, a successful launch, you should get about 21 to 22% conversion rate. So when women go to your website, bexy.com, 22% of the time, they should go all the way through and get a prescription. But what we're seeing is 41% of the time. So double what they said, which is pretty remarkable. And they also said we could quote them saying this is the most successful launch they've participated in. And it matters because the one thing I keep saying to people, and hopefully they're going to start believing me because we're going to be able to show this in our results, is that once women learn about this product and once they use it, it's a little bit like a contact lens, right? The first couple of times you're not really used to it. But once you get used to it, you're like, why would I ever wear glasses again? I'm going to throw my glasses away. This is the same thing. I mean, once women get into the groove of just using the simple little applicator, the other thing I want you to hear is that the product, so it's a gel. So once it goes in the vagina, it's very viscous. And why that matters is that women are not going to use something that leaks out. If you've ever used a leaky gel or anything, women aren't going to tolerate that. The gel is very bioadhesive. So it goes inside the vaginal cavity and it sticks. It stays in there. It's just five milliliters. So a prescription is a box of 12 pre-filled applicators. The reason we picked 12 is market research says that on average women have sex twice a week. So we didn't want them to just have eight because what if they're in a new relationship or they're on vacation (laughs) or whatever, right? (laughs) You know, but the half-life is they have three years. So you get a box of 12 pre-filled applicators. You use it again right before or up to an hour before sex. But a lot of young women said to me, we're already using lubrication as part of intimacy. So why wouldn't we? So it's really been an interesting journey to hear the feedback from women. But the final thing I want to say, and then I promise I'll be quiet, is that the doctors too, I got to tell you what I'm really encouraged by is that these OBGYNs, a lot of them have transitioned to more patient-centered care, meaning more counseling about what are these women doing? And now with COVID, they're doing telemedicine's call. They have a little bit more of a time to take a breather to say, do I really feel as good as I should? You know, are there things that I should change about my healthcare and my life? And so we're getting a lot of feedback that COVID has given women a chance to say, maybe I should try something different, which is, which is pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. It's been an interesting journey, having a lot more time to reflect on your health and your wellness and being able to switch things up and try new things. Like I remember someone saying, this is a perfect time to switch to natural deodorant. Cause you're like not around anyone if it's not working. Uh, but I was like, I actually think that's really, really smart. So this is also a really interesting one. So let's talk a little bit about leadership. You've dedicated your career 
obviously addressing the unmet sexual and reproductive needs of women. And earlier this year, the number of female CEOs leading Fortune 500 companies hit an all-time high of 37, which frankly feels like it's still shockingly low. But what advice can you share for women listening in today's episode who maybe aspire to lead a company one day? What advice would you give them? I would tell them a few things. So the first thing I would say, and not to be Captain Obvious and too redundant, but I would tell them that they really do have to care about and understand how to verbally explain what they want and why they want it, right? And ask for it and advocate for themselves. And even when they're getting praise, even if they're in the review and the review's going well, it's really important to plant seeds about what are the things that didn't get mentioned so that you're always advocating for yourself. You know, the whole thing is, if you can't advocate for yourself, why should anybody else, right? That's the one thing. The other thing though, too, is it's very critical to have a few advocates or mentors that are soberingly honest, right? Sometimes we can drink our own Kool-Aid. Now, unfortunately, there are women, there's sometimes we drink our own Kool-Aid negatively too. We're our own worst enemy, right? Every ding we get in our armor, we say, you know, that was so stupid. I don't have good judgment. Why did I do that? I mean, I always joke, like, you don't have to beat up on a woman. She beats up on herself enough. Okay. Don't go there. You don't have to do it to her. And so I say to women, look, You've got to have somebody that you trust. It doesn't have to be your best friend. It could be, but you have to have somebody that you can get a little bit of a reality test on to get advice and guidance, not all the time, but just when you're really questioning yourself, good or bad, so that you have somebody to help you level set. So, you know, having a mentor, having a a Calvary that I call it, right? So ask for what you want and know what you want, having a Calvary. And then the final thing that I would say is that every time you're speaking and you have an opportunity to present yourself, Never, ever, ever wing it. Look like you wing it. Look like it's seamless. Look like it rolls off your tongue. But prepare, 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 prepare. Like I believe in the law of three. I practice everything three times. I mean, even now as the CEO, right? I, everything I do, I do three times. I read about you three times today, by the way. I read about your podcast. I, you know why? Because I want to make sure that I don't miss anything. And I, that, you know what I feel like? is it, It's important to me. It's important to me that I'm representing this company in the right way. And so I owe it to the company, but I owe it to myself too, right? So I say that because I really do think practice is important and you should really go through everything you're saying if it's about your company or your passion or what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, knowing your stuff is so important. I have a book called Work Party. Uh, Obviously the podcast is Work Party as well, but I talk about that, like go in the room and know more about everyone in the room than they know about you. It's important to know your stuff, have the stats that you're armed with. I mean, even just hearing you speak, it's it's incredible, the knowledge base that you have. So obviously while female leadership has been on the rise and we've seen that increase, COVID is threatening to undo the progress that we've made in recent years. So, you know, a study just came out that the COVID crisis could set women back by half a decade. And I think a month ago, there was some stat about women leaving the workforce. But as the CEO of a major company, what does it mean to be a female leader in 2020? And how can we better support women in the workplace to avoid a mass exodus that we're seeing due to COVID? Well, I would tell you this, that I had an opportunity to practice what I preach in a very big and meaningful way because of COVID. And what I mean by that is that Corporate culture is everything to me. And I believe it starts at the top. I do. And we have a corporate culture at EvoFem that I'm very proud of. It's one of the things that I care about more than anything. I want people to know how significant they are to me. If you work here and you're helping us and me deliver on this mission, you matter to me the same way my family matters to me. But the one thing that companies can do different and they should do immediately, and some of them have had to because it's work from home, but if we could just lean in more to trusting the fact that women, when they are given a chance to make their lives work, 
they will over deliver for the company. If women have kids that can't go to school and they're little kids and they don't have childcare, Right now, what I have seen is that when we have given the women on our staff a chance to work from home and be remote, they are working longer and harder. They're helping their kids go to doing schooling. And then at night, they're working more hours than they would ever work if they were in this office. They send me notes that are so impassioned and so grateful. And I feel ashamed that they even feel like they have to overthink me because they're working harder than ever, but they can't believe that we're allowing them to keep their job, to keep their pay, to work from home. It's amazing to me what a simple little thing has made such a difference because they know a lot of women that are losing their jobs because they can't stay at work because the mindset is if you're not sitting at your desk and sitting in your seat, well, you can't be contributing. And even with COVID that some people are allowed to work from home, people aren't realistic about the hours also that these kids are in remote learning, right? Your kids are in remote learning, whatever hours those are, you can work around those hours. You can work before those hours, but just tell us what they are. And the final thing is, is that, so in COVID to keep women in the workplace, you have to allow them an adaptable schedule without judgment. And it can't be, well, if you need to, it's going to be okay with us. It has to be more than that. It has to be a message from the top saying, you will not be penalized. You will not be judged. You will not be punished. We know you got this. We believe in the people we hired and we know you're going to find a way to deliver. And as long as they do, I'll be honest, what do I care if they work four hours a day and they can accomplish six hours of work? Well, good for them. They're smarter than the average bear, you know? But yeah, I just think if more bosses could really understand that, they're going to get so many more women working so much harder for them. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's funny because pre-COVID, I was that old school mentality. I was like, everyone should be in the office. We need to have meetings. We need to be talking and looking at each other's screens or whatever it was. And it was always a conversation of like flexible work and flexible work. It just felt like it would put us behind the curve if we did it. And then cut to everyone working from home and now us doing that very successfully. It's a whole different conversation. So it kind of forced that change to happen, which I'm grateful for because it just showed that it can be done and it can be done well. But I totally agree. I definitely think, you know, I am a big advocate of being as productive as possible. And if that's for you in the morning, if that's for you at night, if that's from home, if that's in the office, like wherever you are the most productive, you know, I think that's where we should be focusing our efforts. So you talked a little bit about mentorship and finding that ally that'll give you the real talk you need. But mentors aren't always easy to find, especially for women. Only 54% of women have access to a formal mentor at work, but mentees are five times more likely to be promoted within their corporate environment. So how can we make mentorship more accessible to women in the workplace? I think that statistic too is pretty shocking, right? I mean, and you got to think about five times more likely to get promoted. And as women, we are the ones that have this emotive side where we want other women to be promoted. All the good women I know want other women to be promoted, right? I wish that women CEOs were a common thing that we didn't even say women CEOs anymore because there were so many of them, right? It'd just be CEOs. But here's where I think the downfall or the opportunity is both is that oftentimes HR establishes a mentoring program or, you know, if you have a chief development officer and the CEOs don't necessarily really get behind it. So one, I think the person at the top has got to get behind it and lean into it and talk about why it's important and why it matters and they have to mean it. But number two, the programs that I have seen in the past why they didn't work, they're too arduous. It's too unrealistic. It's too cuckoo. Like you can't take two hours every week. It has to be 30 minutes once a week and it's set. Like there's a real time. The mentees have to know that you've got to be organized. 
You've got to have the bullets that you want to talk about and know that you're getting benefit from this person. Have real questions that you want real answers to and be prepared. Not just a free for all. Don't go on and talk about the weekend. Okay. That's not what you're there for, right? You can get to know each other later. This is about real feedback. So one, encouraging the mentees to be organized and well put together and thoughtful. I think the best ones that I participated in anyway were 30 minutes long once a week, every Friday, 9.30 to 10. And we had a whole program. Our whole company did it. Now it was optional if you wanted to be a mentee, right? And we made it optional for people to be mentors. Now, to be honest, we didn't have enough mentors for the mentees. So I then had to give a little pep talk about, don't you wish you would have had it? And I said, like, don't do it just to get it done and don't do it because I'm forcing you because that's just, <laughs> right. Bullshit, yeah. right? That's just bullshit. So, and here's why I want you to do it. And then honest to goodness, the people who were skeptics who didn't want to do it, swear, were the people who came back and said how rewarding it was, that they actually felt like they were helping build a runway for somebody else. And, but because they didn't have a runway built for them, they had a little bit of bitterness, right? They were like, well, nobody mentored me and I got here. And I'm like, that's not how you need to think. You have to think broader than that. So the CEO has got to endorse it and the program has to be realistic. The other thing I would say though, is fortunately or unfortunately, as long as the mentees are, are really serious about it and they really come back with real questions and real ideas, I think it's wildly successful. And so, yeah, but I do agree with you. It's so important. Yeah, I totally agree. And someone even once said to me, you know, if you want time with a mentor, think about their their morning commutes. Obviously, it's a little different now, but like if you live in New York City, can you walk with them to the office? Can you drive with them in their car? Can you give them a call on their way in? Like, what are those little moments where you can steal that time and come to them, like you said, with those, you know, prescriptive questions that you're looking to get actual answers to? So you said that you have a big invisible chip on your shoulder around deciding what balance is for you and what success is. So what is your relationship with the word balance in 2020? And should we even strive for that anymore? I know every female CEO on any podcast ever is asked the work-life balance question. So what's your take on, on work-life balance? So my take has changed a lot. What I mean by that is that now that I have a son and my son's 13 now, but I've been a single parent his whole life. For me, I have given up the word balance and I've given it up and I've replaced it with the word happiness. And the reason I did it is that I finally accepted the fact that it is relative, it is individual, it is personal, and balance for me could be so different, right, than it is for anybody else. And so what I decided was, is that I talk about my love cup. And I say that right now in my life, my love cup is full. And what do I mean by that? Is that I live my life by the week. I can't live it by the day. It'd be too crazy. And I can't live it by the month because that's too unpredictable. So I literally on Sunday have adopted this thing where on every Sunday I say, all right, look, what is it by next Sunday when I'm sitting here that would make sure that I had a good week? Who are the people I need to have touch points with? What are the things that we have to move forward in the company? What are the things I have to get accomplished with my son that by next week, I'm going to feel good about? Now, not a lot, right? There's got to be, I say three things. One thing on my personal list, one on my professional list, and one on my family list. And I give myself three things. And again, I know I'm a little bit crazy about this power of three. Well, wait, can I just tell you a side note? Think about this power of three morning, noon, and night, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, red light, yellow light, green light. The power of three is everywhere in our life, right? It really is. So for me, I say, okay, look, what are the three things? And so that's how I get, quote, this happiness quotient that I've said, you know what? Balance is 
not something that I want to try to understand or interpret because the battle of balance may never be won by me. And if someone else walked a mile in my shoes, they might think I have no balance whatsoever. But for me, I do everything by the week. And I say, you know what, as long as I can keep my love cup more than half full, then I'm doing really well. And I'm super happy. And the other thing I do, so for me, I am a cancer survivor. And there's a lot of data that says that metastasis of cancer is reduced by 50% if you exercise four times a week. Now, I don't really love exercising, but I do it. And I think to myself, listen, you owe this to yourself, right? You owe this to yourself. For the job you love, for the kid that you love, you've got to do it four times a week. So that's what I also work in. By By Sunday, I've had to have done something four times a week. Otherwise, I say to myself, you know, you're not going to get a star this week. No gold star. <laughs> but it's only three. You should only be doing it three times a week if it's the power of three. No, I'm just kidding. I know. But by the way, <laughs> I agree. But yes, yes. But one of those days I just do yoga or exercise or, or, or Fair enough. Making that time for yourself is so important. I think that's amazing that you're able to do that. So, you know, obviously reflecting on our conversation for like the last 30 something minutes, you've attained so much success in your career. But if you could go back to the beginning with the knowledge, the experience, any of the situations you've been through now, what advice would you give your younger self and why? I would say to myself, and I I really mean this, I'm not saying it just because you asked me about balance. I would say to myself, you know what? Balance doesn't matter when you know what you want and you're on your mission to get there. So What I mean by that is that I've had a lot of young women say to me, is it bad that I'm single, that I'm not married, that I don't have any kids and that all I do is work? And I say, it's only bad if you think it is. It's only bad if you're unhappy. It's only bad if you're in misery, if you wake up every day and wonder why you're doing this. If you don't think any of those things, it's not bad at all. You know, this is your own footprint that you're going to make. So what I would tell myself is, is that don't apologize for what you want. Don't be ashamed of being ambitious. I used to be ashamed of it. I used to think that it made me greedy. It made me a a bitch on wheels, honestly. And so I would say to myself, give yourself a break. Don't apologize for being ambitious and don't apologize for wanting to work all the time because you love your work. But I would also say, look, you also have to make sure that you are investing in your own financial nest. You have to have your own bank account and you have to have your own money because you need a fallback plan. Not in case everything goes wrong, maybe just in case you want a safety net for something else you don't know, but to really think about putting some money away for yourself. I wish I would have done it more younger. I wish I would have, you know, it's easy for me to say now, but I would tell my younger self, you're never going to regret putting together a nest egg for yourself so that you have something to fall back on if you want to make a risky choice. You know, you want to make a decision that you're nervous about. You want to join a company that you don't know if they're really going to make it. Well, if you have a safety net, well, you can make those kinds of exciting choices that you might not otherwise make. Absolutely. And, you know, there's this great quote, and I'm going to totally forget who says it, but it says nothing bad happens when women make money. And it's the same thing. Nothing bad happens when a woman's successful. Nothing bad happens when a woman's ambitious. Um, You know, I think for so long we were taught those things were, you know, four letter words or bad to have out there. But I mean, looking at your success story, I mean, it's incredible what you're able to do. And I totally agree. You know, I'm 35. I don't have any kids. You know, I have my husband. My whole life has been my career and my work. And almost every single meeting I'm in is like, when are you having kids? when are you having kids? And it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, you know, and I'm okay with that. And I I like having my career and I feel very fulfilled by that. So um, thank you for that incredible advice. So let's wrap with some sentence finishers. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. The person whose career has inspired me the most is? 
Coco Chanel. The best advice I ever received is... Never confuse motion with action. Activity doesn't matter. It's just the result. My number one money tip for entrepreneurs is... Always have a safety net. Make sure you have enough money so that you have something to fall back on. This year it has taught everyone that lesson <laughs> for sure. The biggest sacrifice I've made for my career is... I moved nine times in order to fulfill my career and move up the corporate ladder so that I could be in charge of making the kinds of decisions I thought were most important. Yes. The highlight of my career to date has been... The approval of sexy for non-hormonal contraception. No question. I'm sure that was a huge, huge accomplishment. My best hiring tip is... You can best judge people's character in the hard times you must ask them to discuss challenging times, constructive criticism they've been given and how they handled it. That's how you will determine whether or not they're a fit in your culture is through their hardships. Also personal relationships. I feel like that also applies. <laughs> I agree. No, I totally agree. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And success is? Success is to me three things. One, raising a gentleman and a feminist for my son who's 13 and I got some work to do between us. Two, <laughs> two is to really be seen as a woman who delivers real innovation for other women, who really leans into bringing products to market that deliver unmet need. And finally, I really want women as CEOs to be commonplace. I want it to be a household thing. Any girl can think she can be a CEO because there's so many of us. Oh, amazing. Well, you are so inspiring. Your story is incredible. This was amazing. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you so much. I loved this and love you, by the way. And I do. So thank you for having me. I'm really grateful. Of course. It was so awesome to chat with you. I mean, please keep in touch too. I mean, we love what you're doing. I hope we can do more stuff together. Thank you. I'd love that. Thank you. For more inspiring conversations like this one, subscribe to Work Party on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party.